once again the familiar music of O Sacred Head, and once again a different text set to it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, welcome to episode 5, Before Pilot. In this episode, narratively speaking, we are jumping over the events surrounding the death of Judas and coming to a stop as Jesus is before Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor, and this trial is the one which will ultimately determine the fate of Jesus. Famously, Pilate gives the people a choice. They must choose either the freedom of Barabbas, a murderer, or the freedom of Jesus. As we'll see, it is Barabbas that they choose. So in this first recitative, we'll hear there are three voices. First, that of our evangelist, sung by Timothy Bench, and then the voice of Jesus, again sung by Stephen Bryant. But now we'll introduce the voice of Pilate, sung by Frederick Matthews. And here we have Jesus standing before Pilate, and Pilate asking him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, that's what you say. And Pilate saying, well, don't you hear how harshly the people are accusing you? And that Jesus then answers not a word, and Pilate is amazed. Jesus habe stund von der Landpfleger, Landpfleger fragte ihm und sprach, bist du der Jüdenkönig? Jesus aber sprach zu ihm, du sagst Und da er verklagt war von den hohen Priestern und Ältesten, antwortete er nichts. Da sprach Pilatus zu ihm, Hörest du nicht, wie hart sie dich verklagen? Und er antwortete ihm nicht auf ein Wort, also, dass sich auf der Land fliege, sehr Now, this brings us to the chorale that we opened the episode with, and it's an interesting moment because the chorale takes what we've just witnessed Jesus doing and uses that scene to encourage us in our own lives. They sing, commend your way and whatever troubles your heart to the trustiest care of him who controls the heavens. In other words, just as Jesus is not under Pilate's power, we are not under the power of our circumstances. This moment beautifully illustrates one of the ways in which the example of Jesus can guide us in our own lives.
this next recitative, we'll again hear three voices, that of the evangelist, also of Pilate, but then the chorus, which plays the role of the angry mob. So the chief priests and elders have persuaded the crowd that they should ask for Barabbas. And you'll hear the chorus sing Barabam, which is in answer to Pilate's question, who should I release to you? Then he angrily asks them, well, then what would you have me do with Jesus called the Christ? And their answer, of course, is crucify him. Aber die hohen Priester und die Ältesten überredeten das Volk, dass sie um Barabbas bitten sollten und Jesus umbrechten. Da antworteten nun der Landpfleger und sprach zu ihnen, Welchen wollet ihr unter diesen Zweien? Denn ich euch sollos geben. Sie sprachen. Pilatus sprach zu ihnen. Was soll ich denn machen mit Jesu? Von dem gesagt wird, er sei Christus. Sie sprachen alle. So we could refer to that last thing we heard as a bloodlust chorus, the angry mob. Bach requires his singers now to, to grind gears and become the voice of contrition, of complicity in this crime. It's an incredible turn because they go from singing, let him be crucified, to singing how miraculous indeed is this punishment. Basically, this is an expression of incredulity. What a crazy judgment this is for them to pass on the righteous Jesus. But the words of the chorale also connect the act of injustice to the deeper reality of what's happening. They sing, the good shepherd suffers for the sheep. The master, righteous as he is, pays the penalty for his vassals. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. It's something theologians call substitutionary atonement. The atonement is the shedding of his blood on behalf of his people. The substitution is, is that sense that he's enduring what justly they ought to have endured so that they don't have to suffer the penalty for their sin.
Now comes the second in the string of pearls I was mentioning in the last episode. So if you weren't sitting through the first part waiting for the alto aria Erbarmedich, you're sitting and waiting for this soprano aria Aus Liebe. Pilate's asking, what evil has he done? And the soprano answers with her recitative, followed by this aria Aus Liebe, which translates to out of love has my savior died for me. It's an astonishing aria on so many levels. There are only two oboes and one flute and then the soprano voice. There are no bass instruments. There's no foundation. It literally floats. And it takes a very special soprano, Hannah Celeste Lou is our soprano, to be able to pull this off vocally but emotionally, too, just to have the staying power to, to get through this sequence. I have to say, this is probably one of the most difficult arias I've ever had to sing because it has so much weight on it because of where it falls in the passion. Um, it's, it's got a lot of responsibility because it's so exposed. It is so, um, it's so pure. There is so much about it that... I personally wanted to do justice, but I was affected by it. Um, and I didn't want to cry while doing it <laughs> because that ruins the whole, it, it ruins the whole thing, but it comes right after they're, you know, they're calling out to free Barabbas and saying, crucify him. And it's the loudest part of the passion. And then all of a sudden it becomes so quiet and so still and almost the feeling of loneliness. You know, and it's it's like the soprano, the the singer comes out of nowhere. She answers Pilate's call. What what has he done? What evil has he done? And she her recitative talks about well, he's done good things for all of us. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He told us about his father's word. He drove out you know the devil. He has done. He took sinners and he embraced them and loved them. And other than that, my Jesus has done nothing. Then it comes, aus Liebe will mein Heiland sterben. Out of the, out of love, 
my savior wants to die, wants to die. Like he's willing to die for me out of his love. And I don't think we, in this world, we do not understand what true love is. And true love is that, you know, is what he did. Out of love is my savior willing to die, though of any sin he knows nothing, so that eternal damnation and the sentence of judgment may not rest upon my soul. So he's dying so that I don't have to. But what I love about this, um, it, when this is just so weighty, everything about this is so heavy that my, my, as a singer, my issue would be breath is to be able to make sure I had breath for every single phrase. Um, this aria is all about breath. And what I thought was so incredible is when I thought about it and kind of read about it, most arias have a continuo or an organ or something underneath it, some, some sort of a, a foundation underneath it. And this aria has a flute, two oboes, and a singer. And all four of those instruments, or three instruments, I guess, they are all breath instruments. And I mean, you, it's so exposed. If you hear, if, if the breath gets messed up at all, you hear that. And what's happening to Jesus at this point? He's being prepared for his breath to be taken away. And um, it's just, I get chills thinking about that because it's just, it's leading up to that. And it's the Holy Spirit will be coming after Jesus leaves. And that's this, this whole song, but this whole aria is about the spirit. You know, it's about breath. It's, um, what was, I, I read it. It was the absence of presence and um or the presence of absence maybe where there's just nothing here it feels lonely it feels like one voice um yeah the presence of absence it's the foreshadow of jesus's absence um it floats um ironically bach wrote this music in not a comfortable area for the soprano to sing in it's right in the passaggio which is the passageway leading from a comfortable area to sing in the middle part of the voice up to a higher part but there's a little section in the voice that you have to navigate through. And this whole aria is in that uncomfortable spot. So everything about this aria really is uncomfortable until you get so focused on what this means and so focused on the purity of it that it, my experience performing it, I settled. I felt like all of a sudden everything made sense in those you know, four, four instruments, two oboes, flute and soprano. And the breath was there. It was like Jesus was amidst, there was still, there was still that, but it's so, um, the word love, um, the, the, aus Liebe, it lasts for three measures. She lingers on his love. She lingers on, wow, I, I can't imagine such a love that he would go through so much pain that he would go through so much of this for me so that I wouldn't have to die. Um, it's very exposed. It's, it's difficult. It's a three, four time. And most of the other arias are in a dance. They dance in three, four time. And this does not dance. It's just purely a song. It's exposing all of the feelings. Um, slowly, there's a lot of, a lot of um, fermata, breaks and pauses until she gets her breath again to be able to start the next phrase because she's overtaken by it. Um, 
So, and honestly, when you're listening to this, when I just listen to a recording as the listener, my breath gets taken away. So everything about this aria to me, I just kind of central centers around the breath of it. It's interesting. You'd use the word weighty earlier, but yet the, um, as you also mentioned, there's no continual, there's no organ, there's no cello, no bass. Right. The bass instrument role is played by these two obodacaccia, the two English horns. Mm-hmm. And all of the harmony is provided by those two playing consistent quarter notes, slow, right. just pulsing underneath this. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's weighty without having weight in a exactly. sense, you know. Um, exactly. But then there's, then there's this obligato flute. Mm-hmm. Um, it's played by William Cedeno, our, our principal flutist, and, and uh, masterfully, um, of course, he's 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 simply amazing. Um, you you have a, a you have a a long standing relationship with the SDSO, but also with our winds players. Like I think of all the times that you've played with our principal oboist Jeffrey Paul, and uh, so it, it must have been. It must have been thrilling, right, to to be able to sing with Will. Oh my goodness, it it was almost it was a conversation back and forth. You know, um, it it was a connection that you just you can't put into words because uh, I mean, there's there's movement happening, like you said. It's it's, and I think the weightiness that I had been talking about is like the content. You know, the content of the words, the content of where it comes in the passion. Um, so it's, it's, it's a hard one to put into words because it's so, there is so much, but I loved, I mean, we waited for this aria, you know, the, the flautist and, and just all of, all, all of us waited for this because you sensed something as soon as you got up there that what's going to happen tonight and worship happened. <laughs> Thank you. 
Listeners who are familiar with the first season of Hearing the Music will remember Dr. James Johnson. He is back with us now to share another one of those mind-blowing facts about Bach's composition. David, this is one of those things that really fascinates me, the, the way that Bach is composing in this really deep, almost under-the-surface way. Yes, Dr. Johnson is a wonderful musician, uh, chorus master for 15 years, chorus master for the SDSO, before handing it off to Dr. Timothy Campbell. James is also a scholar. His studies in the golden proportion always bring a very interesting light to any compositional process, but particularly that of Bach. Whether you're aware of it, listening to it or not, knowing that there is this undergirding of so much intention, so much thought into how he lays out not just each piece of music, but the entire work. And here he's going to help us understand why Aus Liebe appears in exactly the place that it does. So let's find out. Essentially, to explain golden proportion is if you have a length of time, which which a work like St. Matthew takes, and uh, you divide it into two parts, uh, give one A and and one B. Essentially, the, the mathematical part is A plus B is to A as is to B. In other words, it's just a, a ratio of one part to another. It's the same thing in the in the Fibonacci numbers. If you take one of the Fibonacci numbers in the sequence and divide it by its predecessor, and you come up again with this uh, approximation of uh, of the uh, of the phi number. Um, what's interesting for me with the St. Matthew Passion is when you apply golden proportion to the St. Matthew, uh, you land in a very, very interesting part of, uh, of the work um, because it's between movements 46 and 49 in, in, that, in that area, that four movement area. But all of those four movements are very, very unique in, in, what, uh, in what happens. The, the chorale there, number 46, wie wunderbarlich ist doch diese Strafe, that how amazing is this punishment, I think is unique because it, suddenly we're using Johann Krüger's hymn tune and Johann Hermann's hymn rather than uh, the O Hauptvoll Blut und Wunden. And for me, it is very much the essence of, uh, of the St. Matthew, not that it's, it's exclusive, but it, for me, is very, very important because it lands with the soprano recitative and, uh, and aria, the recitative, er hat uns allen wohlgetan, um, and, and then the aria, uh, aus Liebe, but it also follows like with St. John, um, this point where uh, Pilate is, is kind of, you know, saying, I don't understand why you want to crucify this guy. And uh, then you end up with the, that, that beautiful aria for two oboe da caccia and the transverse flute, um, you know, that out of love, my savior is willing to die. Aus Liebe will mein Heiland sterben. And it 
it for me takes that whole part of the anguish of the passion itself and makes it, I think, even for, um, for Johann Sebastian Bach into something very, very positive. It's finding that whole thing that it is really not this agony, not this suffering, not this sin, not this punishment, not all of that end of it, but focusing on, on, on this out of love is how my savior is, uh, is, is treating this whole passion and, uh, and to have it land at the point of golden proportion is, is for me just kind of like, okay, now I don't know where it comes from. I don't know how it gets there. Um, but somehow, uh, God's hand is, is in that with, uh, with Bach as the fifth evangelist. So, um, can you talk to us a little bit, James, about about the the weight of of it landing in the golden proportion? What what's how is that significant as opposed to the midway point of of it, the center? Yeah, yeah. The the when when you apply golden proportion, it 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 is it's gotten to be such a powerful tool for me because it applies to so many works of art. Uh, it, it can be used in the visual arts. It generally translates itself, you know, either as that Fibonacci swirl and you, you follow that around um, a piece, uh, a, a work of art like by Caravaggio or, or others. And even if they superimpose it on there, you can almost follow around and, uh, and you see the, the faces or you see the triangles, uh, or that, but that point of golden proportion, that golden ratio, almost invariably has been for me uh, a, a signal of something's happening here. What's different about this than the rest of the work? I think Aus Liebe has always been pulled out of uh, the Saint Matthew and and held up as as you know some kind of an exemplar. I, I think it's gotten way too slow in many, uh, you know, in many instances, but to suddenly drop the bottom out of the orchestra and to have two obodokachias and a flute, a trio in itself, uh, in, in that, and then the text uh, coming out the, of, you know, of, of talking about everything that's going on here is all being done out of love. Uh, it, it's hard for me to look at something like that and not say this, this, this is a very significant section of the St. Matthew Passion. 